Well, again, I, I want to thank you guys for being here, for uh, participating in this, uh, a, a topic that I feel that we just flat out ignore. This is why the class is called Now Trending, Seven Things Society Ignores About Pornography. As I'm going to introduce myself, my name is Javon Johnson. I am a chaplain in the United States Navy. I've been a chaplain for a year now. I was born in Gary, Indiana. And then I, for five years, I stayed with my grandma. And then after that, I moved to Los, excuse me, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Grew up there until I was 14. Unfortunately, my mom passed away when she was 32 years old at, at, at a, of a heart attack. And so I ended up going to live with my grandma in, in, in Las Vegas. And so um, that, that's a little bit about myself. I, I went to Cascade College for my undergrad, um, where I met my wife. We have two um, daughters, Analea and my wife Leah. She's right here in the room. And then we have two daughters, Analea and Aria, and they're 10 and 12, and so um, that's a little bit about me. And so before we get dive into these seven things, I, I wanna show you guys a quick video. I have four videos, but this is the first of, the, of those four. When we are born, we are given a world built on the decisions of previous generations, a world created by their choices, some good and some bad. Decisions are constantly made without the knowledge of how they will affect us, our society, and our world. But what if we did know the effects? What if we could make choices now that would someday lead to a better world? Every person has a choice. We choose what we buy, what we wear, what we say, and what we do. These choices contribute to an ever-growing swell that drives the course of society, eventually defining an entire generation. But it all starts with one choice from one person. Two generations ago, society began making choices that have shaped today's understanding of pornography. In 1948, Dr. Alfred Kinsey published a best-selling book that suggested that all forms of sexual behavior should be normalized and that people should pursue all sexual urges regardless of age. Businessmen capitalized on this new idea and porn magazines hit the newsstands. Many became convinced that it was cool, harmless, and a gentleman's pursuit. Then, in 1993, came the internet. And like a tidal wave, pornography flooded the World Wide Web as a generation became consumed. And now, for the first time in history, hardcore pornography can be accessed from anywhere and at any time. So what does this mean for our generation? Through new innovations in brain technology, psychology, and sociology, we now know the truth about pornography. Porn is like a drug. It can rewire the brain, form addictions, alter views about sex, objectify the human body, fuel the demand for sex slavery, and reshape society as a whole. Pornography is often violent and abusive, a degrading lie that distorts the very meaning of healthy relationships and love. We are the first generation in the history of the world to face the issue of pornography to this intensity and scale. We are also the first generation with a science-based understanding of the harm pornography can do. And with that knowledge, we feel the responsibility to share it with others. We are determined to be the generation who pursues real love and rejects its hollow counterfeit. We will fight this new drug, and we will not rest until the world knows that pornography is harmful. What do you guys think of that? Love it. I give some feedback. I, a lot of times when I preach, I preach to people. When I teach class, I like the people to, to talk back. So what, what, what do you guys what do you guys think of that? What do you get out of that? What, what stood out to you? I don't think people realize how important the chemicals in your brain are. 
same it is a drug. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. What you got over here? I was going to say the same thing that I, I like the idea of talking about it like a drug because that helps people to connect it with um, everybody knows the, the harm of, of drugs and mm -hmm. addiction to drugs. Mm -hmm. So to link pornography to that helps people to see where we're really going. No, exactly. What else? Any, any other feedback? What you got back there? Has this been tested at all? Uh, are there any? Is there any research on how this affects people? Oh yes, sir. Uh, I think that would be important to, uh, yes. to know which audience we're reaching and how we're reaching. Right, that's true. And uh, I have one video that talks about the, some of the research. It's pretty short, but just so you know, this um, title is not is here for a reason. It's called "Now Trending Seven Things Society Ignores About Pornography." I I wrote a book about social media with that same type of title. "Now Trending Seven Things Parents Ignore About Social Media." So I am in the process of not only writing this book, but researching all the things that you're talking about, and this is just a like a precursor to, hey, you know, we need to be talking about it for sure. Um, anything else stick out to you guys in, in the video? Go ahead. I think it also it highlights the fact that when, when values, a value system is taken from sexuality, mm. then the landscape widens for anything goes kind of thing. And, Kinsey did a very serious disservice mm -hmm. to the culture. Right, he very, he very much did. And uh, anyone else, go ahead back there. For me, it was I was brought up in the church and never really had anything to do with pornography. And when I lost my wife, I went to pornography. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon it was at this minor level, and then it kept growing and growing. That's the addiction type thing. Is like, you know, I ended up going on six or seven times a day after a while, and I, it was just a slow progress right. of, of addiction. Right. These are the seven things that I feel that we ignore about pornography. And the first thing that I put up there is that it's addictive. And, and the reason why I put that up there, because a lot of times we, if we are in society or outside and we don't struggle with pornography. We look at people who do struggle with pornography as disgusting. I can't believe you would view something like that. And so what makes it hard for us, if we're struggling with that, if we're a person who is struggling with pornography, it's hard for us to go out and say, hey, I struggle from pornography because people might say, you're disgusting. Something's wrong with you. It is very much addictive. When I was 10 years old, walking with my brother, we were walking down in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there's an alley, there's a house on this side, a house on this side, walking down the alley. And we see this thing kind of flowing in the wind, kind of colorful paper, and we walk by, and we, and we intrigued by it, we said, ugh, because it was a porn, porn magazine. Ugh, but at the same time we said, ugh, our eyes are still on this piece of paper. Ugh, and then we turned it back, ugh, but we kept looking at it. It looked so much that we grabbed it, and we didn't. We no way we would take this into our house. My mom would beat our butts, right? They should knock us out, right? So what we did, we kind of hid it behind some some can, and then eventually somebody else took this pornography. But that's how I was introduced to pornography. And then, if you remember what I said, my mom passed away when I was 14. Then I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where anything goes. Every time you walk down, you see. This sign, that sign, that sign, it's just kind of out there, it's there for you, whatever. You got guys on the corner doing this with their hand, and you're like, oh, what's that? And you take it, you're like, ah, I, didn't want, I don't want people to see me with that 
picture of that naked girl. And then all of, if you look down, you're like, ah, oh, this everywhere. You can't look down because it's everywhere on the ground. You can't look up because every time you look up, it's everywhere. And one of the disservice that we have done as a church is to see the elephant in the room and say nothing about it. Amen. So that means when we come to our church, when we come to church, we assume because we're not talking about it that nobody in the church is struggling with it. Yet I grew up 10 years old. The first time I, I saw porn was 10 years old, 11 years old, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And so I come to Cascade College, this Christian college, with this addiction to pornography that I didn't know I had. And even though I... From 18, I committed my life to Jesus, and then 22, I decided I'm going to be a youth minister. I still was struggling with pornography. Because why? Why? Because the church is not talking about pornography. It's just kind of like one of those things. If you do it, you're disgusting. Don't do it. It's bad. But we'll never say anything to people about what's going on. And here's, so here's number two. This is another thing. That, another thing. You're supporting human trafficking. Here's what they said, about 50% of the pornography is probably human trafficking. So that means, as you're watching it, you don't know which one it is. You have no clue. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Smartphones, it changed everything. How many people remember a time when we didn't have, because a lot of older people, when you didn't have computers? Oh, yeah. So how were people able to access pornography then. You had to buy at the store. How, how you had to buy at the store? You had to put on a different jacket and a, and a hat. There's always a chance <laughs> somebody <laughs> And then walk into the store. You're like, it's a chance somebody to see. So you had to walk into the store. You got to know what you got to get, grab it, and get out of there real quick, right? right. And you guys remember, so what, what changed about the, the internet for, for us as a uh, society? It brought it to your living room. Oh, man. It brought it to your living room. And so, but even then, when you have a desktop like this, and I'm sitting there watching it, and somebody comes into the room, you, you try to like bring it down, and you can't because and they're like, oh, I know you're struggling with pornography. But this has changed everything. Because nobody really goes up to you and says, hey, what you looking at on your phone? Now, some weird people that do that. But most people don't come up to you and see what you're doing on your phone. You kind of have a secret. You got a password on your phone. Nobody knows what's going on in your life except for you with this phone. It changed everything. And that's number four, leaders struggle with it too. Where does a leader go when he needs pastoral care? Where does a church leader go when he needs pastoral care? To the elders, and you go to elders, there's a minister, you're like, hey, I struggle with porn, you're fired. Why? Because we don't recognize the number one thing is that it's actually addictive. And because the church hasn't bleed into society and said, hey, this is wrong, not from a, only a moral standpoint, but from an actual human being standpoint. This is bad for us. Listen, listen to this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Literally, the first commandment God gives us, have sex and make it like babies. So here's what we know about sex is that sex is good. But somehow along the way, the church has made sex to be bad. Not intentionally, 
Because we know it's good. We know that God has said, hey, be fruitful, multiply, all that stuff. Sex within the constraints of marriage is the perfect way to do it. But we said sex is bad. Don't do it. Don't watch it. Don't, don't participate in it. And so people, what, what has happened in our society is that society, as the guy, well, I forgot his name, Kins, Kinsler, Kinsley. He said sex is, sex is good, even though that's what God said. But he's saying you can do whatever you want with it. You can have it any way, shape, or form that you want to have it, and it's great. And, and we're like, no, you can't do that. But still, again, we just flat out ignore it and don't say anything about it. Um, number five, it is ruining marriages. Number six, women struggle with it too. Sometimes I think we think it's a, a man problem. And it was up until recently until they made the smartphone, until... Like a society kind of got a little bit different, a little bit more whatever, but women struggle with it too, but they're not going to say that they struggle with it. And then number seven, it is a spiritual battle. So I'm going to show uh, another video for you guys, and then we're going to talk about it real quick. This is some experts. The brain is a, a fascinating machine, really. In terms of brain plasticity, everything that we do each and every day shapes our brain. We call it neuroplastic, just as plastic is changeable and malleable. We can change the shape of the brain. And I actually did a study recently on this. So we put people in the scanner and we looked at their brain structure and associated this brain structure with the amount of pornography they consume. So basically we found in our study that the gray matter in the reward center is generally smaller in those people who watch more porn. We've seen that with multiple addictions from methamphetamine to cocaine, others, and now with pornography addiction. It's almost as if the brain is saying, I like pleasure but you're killing me, this is too much. My hypothesis was that the ventral striatum and the reward regions should be bigger in those people watching pornography. And it's exactly the other way around, so. Um... Were you shocked? Yes, yes. There is solid research to show that brain functioning changes. The more you watch pornography, that you can get a blip up when the pornography is totally new but totally new soon becomes old as you, as you watch that. People need to watch more or get more interesting and novel stuff to get the same level of activity in the reward system. You know, so it's a paradox. When it starts out, the porn is turning you on, and the more porn you watch, the less likely you are to get aroused. Which seems to indicate that the, the normal, regular thing you were used to isn't sufficient anymore. The wonderful thing about the human mind is the power of curiosity to invent, to create, but what pornography does is it puts a straitjacket on our mind to say, no, this is the only thing I'm interested in, and then ultimately that any kind of compulsion is destructive. What do you guys think about that? Feedback. Anybody? Go ahead. In the first video when he was saying that porn is definitely more and more violent and with the like downfall of morals in the community would make sense for porn to be more violent. But what they were saying on this video is like what you used to watch for porn, then like the need grows and grows and so you would go from something like normal sex to something super 
they were saying violent. Like, well, if it's an addiction, you usually go like get more and more of whatever drug you're doing, and so the pleasure like center being smaller actually shocked me too. Just as a lover of the brain and the way that the pleasure center works, it's when he was saying like. As humans, we are naturally creative and naturally like want the pleasure. But with your brain, like physically telling you, you're killing it. Right. That's just crazy to me that it's actually shrinking in size. Right. And then there is some. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know if you can bring this up or not, but there's very interesting research on testosterone levels in America. In the last 30 years, they've fallen like. 30% yep. at least. The same is actually true of sperm count of yep. males. It's actually fallen off dramatically right. in the past 34 years. Right. Because they, maybe right. this may have some uh, impact. Some, it, it has almost all of it. Because um, you shouldn't have 22, 23, 24 year old males with impotency being prescribed by Agra. <coughs> Why is that? Because they watch too much pornography. Because society has said it's okay. And I'm, I'm going to read this verse and then I'm going to tell you about the church. Where it says, But among you there shall not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper to hold God's holy people. And I think when we read that verse, but must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, it means don't talk about it. Don't bring it out. And then we don't have a sexual immorality problem. <laughs> How easy was that? But we know for a fact, and, I, and I, I've been doing youth ministry too long and ministry too long to know that people are struggling with it in your pews. But where did it go? How do they come and say, you know, I am sure, because the Bible says there's not much not even be a hint, but I have a whole room full of sexual immorality. A hint, a whole room full. What, what, where do people go? And this was the struggle that I was having as an 18, 19, 20, all the way up to 26-year-old man, where my wife had to literally catch me watching pornography. And it still didn't change me. It's addictive. It's addictive. It's addictive. So because we don't talk about it, People remain addicted. They remain addicted to this thing that is a huge drug in our society. Let me see. I'm trying. I'm trying not to get emotional because every fiber in my being, from eight, from the time I first saw pornography, I, I, I wasn't a moral person. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18, but. Every fiber of my being was like, I don't want to deal with this stuff. But I keep going back to it. I kept going back to it like, 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 like I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand why I was doing it. I felt horrible after I got done with these experiences. You know, when, during it, it's fine, it's great, everything's great, but it's like when you go and drink and you have fun with your buddy, you get a hangover, you wake up and you're like, oh, what did I do last night? Every single time. 
and, and I don't think there's most people in the room that after they get done, they're like, yeah, that was a great experience. And I know that because I have Marines come into my office. I had this Marine come in, and he was talking to me. He was saying he didn't know how to explain what was going on. And then finally he told me, because he has a, a, a fiancé that he's, he's in love with. And he's not a Christian at all. He's not even trying to be a Christian a little bit. But he said, I have this addiction to pornography. He said, the problem that I'm having is that I tried to go to my married sergeant and my married lance corporals or whatever, and they said, man, get out of here. What's wrong with you? Porn's good. Porn's great. And he was thinking, like, man, I'm going to go to the married guys, and they're going to be, you know, like, okay, well, this is what I do, all this stuff. They said, no, they do it all the time. They watch it with their wives. He was just, he was baffled because he wasn't trying to be a Christian. He didn't want to come to me. He was like, I tried to avoid you at all costs because I didn't want you to come up with some Christian stuff and start <laughs> trying to convert me and all this stuff. He said, like, I tried to avoid you at all costs, but nobody was helping me. He's like, I love my fiance with all my heart, and I don't want to watch this stuff. He is not a Christian. Yeah, he recognizes the damage that it's doing to him and his brain and his, and his, and his fiance. It hurts them to know that you're looking at someone else to get pleasure. It's destructive. But among you, there should not even be a hint, a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So, so, so what, what do you guys think? What? Uh, all this information we have so far, where, where, where do you think we, we as a church need to go from here? What, what, what do you, what, what's on your mind? Go ahead. This, I, I already mentioned that uh, I, when I lost my wife, mm -hmm. this was when I was in my 50s. Mm -hmm. I had not looked at pornography. Right. You know, maybe I saw Playboy or Penthouse right. once or twice when I was younger, but I was that straight person that never did anything like that. So I think we forget the fact that it's, pornography is not just a young man or woman's problem. It's every age right. where we have to deal with that. Right. And, and here I was, I was on leadership. I was leadership. Exactly. And I was exactly. watching pornography because I justified the fact that I no longer had a wife. This was better than... Right going to a prostitute or, or, or doing anything else while I was waiting to get. So it's just, it's so invasive. It's right. just, you just don't, you just don't understand until you've been in that, that place. I agree, I agree 100% what you got back there. You were saying that you were trying to pastor this guy without the Christian, you know, like throwing theology, what he was saying. Mm -hmm. um, how did that, how did that get, like, how did that, oh, it's fantastic. How did you reach him? So what, so what I end up doing, I end up telling him, like, one of the best ways for you to get over pretty much anything is have somebody that you can trust that's going to make sure that you're not on, on the wrong arrow. So even when I was here on Tuesday, because this happened like three weeks ago, on Tuesday he said, I said, hey, what you need to do is when you're out and you're thinking about it because he's by himself, you need to go for a walk or do something different. And then I say, you can text me or call me, whatever you want to do. And he texted me and said, hey, sir, I'm going on a walk just to let you know. I, 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 I didn't bring no G. I didn't say that. I was just like, hey, I, know I, can, I can help you out. And I, I texted him like 1 o'clock tomorrow. I was like, how'd you do? He's like, good, sir. I'm like, perfect. I'll talk to you on Monday. And so like, it, it's hard. It, 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 sometimes it's hard because I want to go straight to the Bible. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I just need to help these guys out. 
build a relationship with them, be able to put them in a position to understand that, hey, I'm here for you, I care for you. And, and I think that's one of, the th yeah, one of the things that's happening in the church is that because we don't talk about it, we don't get the help that he gets. Mm -hmm. Well, since we don't talk about right. it, we as people don't get tools to help other people either. Yes, yes, yes. Like, yes. So yes. we're blind. Well, I, I am blind to how to even like talk about it or even go to that right. because it's such a hush-hush topic. It's true. Like, why are you talking about it? It's like, it needs to be talked about. Yes. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. And I'm going to explain why that is. Go, go ahead. What you got? I just want to comment on that. I think that the reason why, one of the reasons perhaps why your intervention with him was so effective is probably why like AA and NA is that we, it's the accountability mm -hmm. relationship yeah, component, right. um, especially with something like this, which is profoundly solo and secretive. Mm -hmm. Very secretive. I mean, the relationship is the key. I mean, they go into alcohol. I am an alcoholic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they just they got somebody with them. They, you know, all that good stuff. You know, and so. It's, but we have to. And this is why the first part of it is the, me talking about it being an addiction. We have to recognize it as something that it, it becomes an addiction. It messes up your brain. It jacks you up, and you keep going back for more. All, all my my willpower. I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. But if I was at home by myself, bad day. Yeah, I was gonna say too. I think it's a important for people in general is to, to recognize like a drug it it progresses in what's needed mm -hmm. you know like if you take heroin for a year you need more heroin mm -hmm. to get the same effect yep. and pornography takes people farther than they think they're going to go yep. right it starts out maybe with with just you know what we might consider regular pornography I work with guys who um, by the time they're done they're involved in and sometimes even as far as child pornography, and they're not, this is explained this, but they're not pedophiles. Right. They have just gotten themselves that far trying to get the fix exactly. of pornography. Exactly, so I, I, I know, but I, I, I tell a story about that too. There, there's, there was a, a, a Marine who um, decided that, that that was his best course of action to watch some child pornography. Not on his phone. Not on his computer, <laughs> not on his iPad, on the government, the government <laughs> computer. <laughs> think about, think about, I mean, they monitor everything you do on that computer. Do, do, we, do we understand that? They monitor everything, yet he was so addicted to it. That he, and people walk by all the time. He was so addicted to it, that he said, I, I'm going to take my chances and watch it on a government computer. This is how bad it is. This is how bad it can become. And if we don't talk about it in the church, we're going to have a whole bunch of addicted porn people who like, they'd be 60 years old, like, hey, I didn't know he was addicted to that. I didn't know he cheated on his wife. I know, well, it started early. And I'm going to tell you why. I, prove, I can prove he started early. Because when I was 18, 19, 20, I would go to these church camps, and they'd split the girls up, and they split the guys up, and they say, what do girls struggle with? And they tell them everything they struggle with. And the guys, like, literally, it's like, Lust, porn, lust, sexual addiction, lust. Every single male that raised their hand to participate and said that what they struggle with, they all said the exact same thing. A safe space for them to actually say that was at camp, but they can't say that in the church. What's wrong with you? But among you there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. What's wrong with you? 
So that can't be the church's response. That can't be our response anymore. Our response shouldn't be like, hey, you need to just, like, stop it. So what should be our response? How, how, how do we go about bringing forth an opportunity for young men and women and people who struggle with this addiction to come forward without being judged, without being gossiped about, and without feeling like, man, I messed up royally, really, really bad. How do we go about doing that? We gotta build a culture that accepts people who are different and people that struggle with different things than we do because as a church, and of course I can't speak for all churches, but as a church, we tend to say, well, if you're struggling with pornography, that's way worse than what I'm struggling with. And that's, we've got to get out of that mindset. Because if I come to you and I say, uh, I'm struggling with an alcohol addiction, mm -hmm. you're going to put your arm around me and say, we're going to get you the help that you need and we're going to walk beside you. Mm -hmm. But like you said, if I come to you and say, well, I'm struggling with porn, you're going to, I go talk to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I want to <laughs> deal with it. But we've got to have that culture of no matter what it is that you're struggling with, mm -hmm. that's what we're here for. We're the church. Right. We're going to walk beside you. It doesn't mean we support the action. Right. But we love you, we want to support you, and we got to figure out a way to get you through this. Right. But that means we got to have those tough conversations. Right. What, what else? What else do you guys think that we can do to help? As a teacher, um, and having kids come to you for confidentiality, um, gotten in the habit of not being surprised, uh, just when they're telling you things, because that's what shuts people down, is when you're like, really? Oh my gosh. Because mm -hmm. like, then they're like, Holy crap, you know, but when you come at it at, in a loving, from a loving place of just not really being phased, but in your mind, it's like a duck. You like, on the surface, you look like nice and calm, and underneath, your like, right, and right. it's like your brain is just like racing and like mm -hmm. what to do for them, but you have to have that it's okay to speak or it's okay to confide without the judgment because the surprise. That's judgment. That's judgment, mm -hmm. right off the bat. So I'm, I'm gonna let y'all think about that question. Oh, go ahead. We got one more. I, I was gonna say that we need to be the person that somebody can really trust. Yes. You have to create those deep kind of relationships mm -hmm. that somebody trusts you enough that they will share whatever they need to and know that you're not gonna treat them any differently the next day. Exactly. I agree 100%. I'm going to continue to ask that question, but I kind of want to watch this video again. This is, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news, but here, here. Now with more on that new photo scandal rocking the Marines, a private Facebook group with thousands of members inside the Corps shared explicit images of women without their knowledge. The Marines' top general has issued a scathing rebuke, and now one of the victims is speaking out. Martha Wright's back with all that. What an outrage. It, it really is, George. The Marine Corps, as you know, is the smallest service. It has the fewest number of women, and it has a very big problem. Overnight, women telling their painful stories. I felt like my privacy had been taken away from me. Having to go through being harassed constantly every day of my life for the past year just because of a mistake that I made four years ago, it's not anything that anyone deserves to go through. Former Private Callie Wayne accusing her ex-boyfriend, also a Marine, of sharing a private tape online they had made together. She says it was linked to a private Marine Facebook page. It's extremely widespread. If it's happened to me, it's got to be happening to a lot of other females. 
Wayne joined the Marine Corps in 2013, but was removed three years later for unrelated misconduct. The allegations are shocking. Marines sharing illicit photos linked to a private Facebook group with tens of thousands of members. The photos reportedly numbering in the hundreds, possibly thousands, said to include more than two dozen women, some identified by name and rank and where they serve, many reportedly attracting obscene comments from some members of the group before the photos were taken down. General Robert Neller, Commandant of the Marine Corps, calling the allegations embarrassing to the Marines. When I hear allegations of Marines denigrating their fellow Marines, I don't think such behavior is that of true warriors or warfighters. The allegations surfaced when Thomas Brennan, a Marine veteran turned journalist, says he discovered the photos connected to the Facebook group. There were a nefarious few that uh, decided to sexually exploit hundreds of women um, and and create something that could be easily weaponizable. A spokesperson for the Marines saying a Marine who directly participates in, encourages, or condones such actions could also be subjected to criminal proceedings. This morning, the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Ronald Green, is expected to address the allegations to Congress at a previously scheduled hearing. You know, the leadership is clearly angry, but I have heard leaders in the Marine Corps and the other services talk about sexual harassment or the treatment of women, saying they have zero tolerance for that, and it has gone on and on and on. Mm. Zero tolerance. How, how does that make you guys feel? Sad. Sad. What else? Angry. Angry. Right. What else? No words. No words. Right. I kind of hate to inform you guys, but that's our culture. <clears throat> that's that, like literally. That's actually our culture. Like they they they, they have. I, I write this in the book. They have a, 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 a app. It's called Snapchat that was originally made so I could send naked pictures and videos of myself so it could disappear into thin air. This is our culture. And the reason why is our culture is because Christians sit back and do absolutely nothing about it. We don't do anything about it. And what happens is we just kind of follow into the American way of life and we just kind of become just like them. Because, among you, there should not be a hint of sexual immorality and so we don't talk about it. Did you have a hand back there? What you got? I think a big problem is that it starts way before most people think it will. Exactly. It's eight and ten-year-old boys yes. who are watching this on their phones that their parents gave them for protection. Yes. Uh, they're yes. using for other things. Yes. And they're passing it around school. Yep. Uh, they're giggling. Yep. Uh, it's, we used to you know, pass notes and, and draw pictures. They don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. They pass naked pictures around all exactly. over. They take them, they share them. Uh, I mean, it's, it's terrible because we have children who are now accused of child pornography because they took pictures of themselves and, and shared them with another which is minor, which is a felony on yes. two counts. So we have nine-year-olds nine on sex offender registry now. Yes. All because the church is silent. Parents are silent. The church is silent. 
See, I, I get it. The parents are sorry, but the parents are just doing kind of what the American culture, that's why I write this book about social media, and just kind of doing what American culture does, right? When we grew up, you got par parents who just let their kids watch TV, and you, and you do all this stuff, and you let them go outside or whatever, but now you can't let your kids go outside because now there's pedophiles everywhere, and so you got to protect your kids because it's different now. It's different now. And the church has been silent for too long and just allowed the world to just say, guess what? You can do whatever you want when it comes to sex. And it's A-OK. -okay. And we just say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to walk down the street. Oh, look, porn. Okay, here we go. I, 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 I feel like in my spirit that... Um, That we're afraid. Do, 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 you, do you guys feel that way? I, I think we're afraid to tackle this because it's gonna get messy. And when you start looking around the corner, like, hey, what's going on? Oh, oh, you don't wanna know. You don't wanna know what you see behind there. You don't wanna know what you see behind your favorite elder, your favorite pastor's computer. You wanna see what your, your, your person that you mentored you has behind. You don't want, you don't want, you don't, we don't wanna shake that tree. Let's just act like it doesn't happen. We're afraid. We're scared. And I can tell you one thing, that those people are scared too. That's why they don't talk about it. That's why the leadership doesn't come up and say, I'm going to make myself vulnerable and say, look, I struggled with this. Because by default, what's going to happen, you're going to judge them. Just like in the video. I bet some of us are watching the video and the girl is like, I, I created this video with my boyfriend. It was between us and he posted it. And you're probably thinking, well, why is she creating videos in the first place? <laughs> If she didn't create the video, it wouldn't have got out there. But that's our culture. The culture says, hey, it's okay to create a video of yourself and kind of between you and whatever, but don't be surprised if your boyfriend or your girlfriend takes that video and posts it for everybody to see. And the church, again, is silent and says nothing. So again, I ask you the question, what, 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 should, what should we be doing? What, what, what can we do as a, as, a, as a church to kind of put ourselves in the position to help people overcome this addiction? What do you guys think? Well, we had, in early December, we had a seminar at our church that was given by somebody who uh, works in this area. He had several people in his family who were severely affected by pornography. So he quit his job and researched and, and goes around to churches and other places too, giving presentations. So we we did that. So that was in December. So now, um, you know, I I I would like to know what can we do as a next step. And um, so that it was good that we that we did that. Mm -hmm. It was over a weekend. Actually, we had two or three sessions, including the Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And um, so now, you know, we haven't done anything in the line of follow up, at least that I'm aware of, mm -hmm. but um, I would like to know what you think or maybe some of the other people, right. because I, I, would, I would like to see us have something in place, maybe even as an offering to the community, mm -hmm. but if we did it that way, we, you know, we have to have people who can, can handle that. There it is. Yeah. What, what, what you and then you can go after, after him. Go ahead. I think we've already addressed the fact that it's a, an addictive 
behavior, right. and in a way it can be related to what people call a drug. Right. Um, so, and I think it's an even more powerful drug, um, something that is common among everyone. Everyone. Um, a very, very common thing, even in TV shows, even in uh, movies. Right. It's not just the porn itself. Yep. It's in other cultures and other activities that we partake in. So it's something that's really powerful, and I was gonna say be treated like any other addiction, like a 12-step process right. with um, you know, alcoholics mm -hmm. and with um, recovering um, heroin addicts and all that other stuff, right. that sort of stuff um, is great, but I don't know if maybe it's even powerful enough for something so easily accessible and so easily mm -hmm. implemented into the culture and all that stuff. That's just me throwing it at an idea. Okay, yeah. well, that's great, process. that's perfect, I like that. What would you have over here? Well, I was going to say that it's not just the discussion of like pornography or illicit sex. It seems to me that the church has failed to discuss the appropriate and healthy right. marital sex in an open and free context. Mm -hmm. right. Because the damage is done when you drive it underground. Yes. When it becomes taboo. Yes. When seeing a naked body is dirty and evil. Yes. When God created that naked body, he actually created a union of two bodies to create a beautiful thing, which is another life. Right. And it's really a shame that growing up, and I grew up, and there was never a discussion of sexuality in, in my family. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because that's such, a, that's such a huge part of adult life. Right. And it's, it's driven underground, not only by the church, but just the American culture. I agree. So taboo. Right. And, and, and there's so much hypocrisy around it. Right. We, talk, we don't talk about healthy sex, but we make a big to-do about movies like Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. Because really popular right. movies and popular films. But they're, right. There's such hypocrisy. I agree. Culture. Well, and maybe that's what's driven it into the school systems where now young kids have to get their education in the school system mm -hmm. instead of their homework. Right. Right, exactly. What you got over here? I was just going to say um, in the text that you, you know, posted on the, on the screen, um, um, as, as America's moved into, um, for lack of a better word, a post Christian culture, mm -hmm. it has adversely affected the church yes. in such a way because you asked the church question. Uh, in such a way that um, things like hit of impropriety, holiness, have become taboo subjects in the church. Mm -hmm. um, grace, peace, love are pushed so much, and I think decontextualized to the point where, where the idea that that there should be a such thing as that which is improper, or or that that there should be such hints among us, or right. uh, that these things, and that we should be holy people, right. and those are poo poo. As if you know, well, you know, you can't say nothing to him. You can't say anything to her right. because now you're being legalistic. Right, right. Um, because just because you asked the church question, you know, and I think that's what has happened to the witness of the church mm -hmm. um, that we can't speak. You know, there's yeah. pushback from the church. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. No, you're right. Right here and then, right there. So I was thinking, just as you were talking about, like how we've drawn to, like, from sex being normalized to. Um, bastardized, really, for lack of a better word. Um, I was just thinking back to the garden. Like, the first time they felt shame, what did they do? <laughs> they hid themselves. They hid. Yeah, but they, co they covered themselves because those were private parts. Mm -hmm. Like, it came from that. Right. Like, our, our idea that those are taboo things, that just trickled right down the grapevine <laughs> to popularized culture like right. we have that has taken that shame of those areas and this verse right. saying not even a hint of it so you keep it not just yourself covered right. but your phone yeah 
Exactly, I agree. What you got back there? I kind of wanted to answer the lady's question from a personal experience, which you've heard already. I am at the point where I could make myself naked here, mm -hmm. saying that this happened to me. Was the fact for the fact that I had an accountability brother for a number of years where I didn't tell. And when I got to the point where I could trust him enough to say something to him, he still loved me. Right, you know, there it is. He still loved me. There and then is. here I go. I was the Bible study leader for the men's Bible study. Right. I could then, <coughs> I felt so trusting of him. He says, you need to share this with right. the other guys. They're going to, they'll love you still. Right. What do you know? <laughs> they still love me. Right. And, right. you know, and then, like right now, I don't feel judged because I know Christ, that I'm forgiven. Right. And the way I know I'm forgiven is I don't have that desire. Right, anymore. exactly. Because I was loved by people right. that Christ has given them the love to. Exactly. What you got? Yeah, just kind of tying into what he's saying. Again, a, a lot of our, our, our worst behaviors grow and fester in isolation. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're not... We're not intended for isolation. Community. We're not good in isolation. And really bad things happen when yes. we're in isolation. Yes. And that is the problem I think that primarily has to be overcome in all of this. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, maybe an acknowledgement that Christians like sex just as much as everybody else does. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And we gotta acknowledge that, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right, we have to be able to acknowledge right. that. So we're not isolated in this whole topic, and Thank we can you. then begin to talk about it. So, you know, it takes leadership. I think like most saints, leaders have to step up and say, hey, we're going to talk about this, and we're not going to talk about it like a psycho-educational thing. Right. We're going to get real about this. Right. Exactly. And so, you know. And I, I, I agree with you guys. I think that's an overall main point. It's one of the things that we tend to do as Christians on any topic. It doesn't matter what it is. We kind of have this us versus them mentality. We're us over here, we're holy and pleased and God loves and all that stuff. And those people over there, they're the ones that struggle with whatever. The problem with pornography is that Christians are struggling with it too. <laughs> and so the first thing that we need to do as a church is eradicate the sin and the, sexual, the evil sexual impurity in our church first. And that starts by being transparent. By saying, okay, well, since he said it, yeah, me too. Like the Me Too movement, like, me too. I'm struggling with it too. But that, that's the hardest part about it, right? Because what happens when we do that? You get two things. Judgment and gossip. So that makes it hard for us to kind of move forward in that particular situation because that's the only step that needs to happen is for us to recognize, hey, we're struggling with pornography just as much as the people who aren't holy. Once we get there, then we can move forward in actually going out into the world and into other people's lives and say, hey, you know, I struggle with it too. Can you imagine the testimony to a young boy or a young person that is struggling with that and say, oh, man, I look up to you, you're whatever. And you used to struggle with that too? Instead of like, oh, he never struggled with that. I can't go and actually have a conversation with him because he doesn't know what I'm going through. What you got over here? Well, I'm just thinking, I think the one thing that we don't do well as churches is we have not figured out how to kill the sin Mm -hmm. Like there's little sins and there's great mm -hmm. sins. Mm -hmm. And that sin is what's bad. Yes. You doing sin does not make you bad. Right. And we don't live in a context where you can be a good person that did that thing. Right. 
because forever you feel like I'm the bad person. I'm not an example. And because of the sin hierarchy, mm -hmm. we just, we can't get over it. And that's why we have taboo subjects that we can't even talk about. We don't about even want to talk about it. Because of the sin hierarchy. I agree. I got um, two more slides and a video. Um, I'm going to just give you some little facts. All right, it says human, fa human trafficking is the fastest growing organized crime activity in the United States, making it almost $32 billion a year for traffickers while destroying the lives of tens of thousands of innocent children. Nearly 7% of these transactions take place online. That's not in the world. That's just in the United States of America. Where did they get these numbers? Oh, what they, is uh, happening? Uh, uh, say it again. Like if they know it's ha like if they know it's happening, they can like calculate those numbers. But right. there's so much more that's like not being. Oh yeah, that's just the stuff that's that that's they, they, they can, can track. Up. That's just the stuff that they can track. So imagine. Right. That's just the stuff that they can track. And this is the, this is the government working on trying to stop, eradicate it. They're doing their job to try to make sure that this that kids are safe, that they're not doing. So this comes from a government website. They're trying their best money, but it said thirty-two billion dollars a year. I, Here's another. Porn industry makes more than $70 billion a year. That's more money than Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA combined. Wow. It's not going anywhere. Yep. Yep. All right. But I can tell you one thing that I know for a fact that that $97 billion isn't just from unholy people. <laughs> right. And some Christians that's implicit in making them that $97 billion. And we need to stop doing it. It goes back to what I said earlier. I said human trafficking is the fastest growing organized crime activity. Why? Because it's supply and demand. Supply and demand. If people aren't demanding it, they don't make money. And as we go back before, when it says, um, you start off with this little bit, start off with a little bit, and it gets more and more and more aggressive. Well, guess what? Human trafficking is based off of violence and aggressive. That's why they make so much money out there. For people who put themselves, like we said, in isolation. Look at that phone. And, and, and the stuff that used to arouse them doesn't arouse them anymore. They have to get more and more and more. And like I said, about 50% of porn, you can't tell whether or not it's sex trafficking or paid actors because that's how blurred the lines are. This isn't going anywhere. But as God's holy chosen people, we need to pull ourselves in a, in, in a matter that we say, okay, we're going to be separate away from this evil, sexual, lies world but that, that that requires us to put ourselves in a position to be open to be transparent to say you know what we're not going to judge we're not going to gossip about whatever we're going to get right and then we're going to go out into all the world and we're going to try to help these children innocent children instead of what we do all the time we just get on the porn site and support them which one do we want to be about Which one do we want to be about? Because if we want to be about protecting innocent children, we have to be about putting ourselves and getting ourselves right before God. We have to. I'm going to show you one last video. And this, is, this lady is not a Christian. But this pornography had a negative effect on her and her, and her marriage. So I've been running for almost 20 years. And it's just, it's like, just part of me. It's who I am. It's, it's like, for me, it's like brushing your teeth. I do it almost every day. 
Um, and if I don't do it, I feel a little gross. I had a coach in high school. He used to always say, this, this isn't a Sunday jog in the park, but today's a Sunday jog in the park. started off as friends and uh, we were oh, we had so much fun together we just he was the first person that ever made me feel like it was okay to be me and he didn't he didn't try to change me and I felt the same way about him like I didn't want to change him and we just we just let it be and there was there wasn't a lot of judgment in our relationship we had a pretty uh, we had sort of a colorful marriage and a colorful um, passed together. Right away when we started dating, I realized that he had playboys. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't see the, like the threat. I didn't see the danger. You know, I noticed right away that we kind of had a lack of a connection. And I, I didn't make the connection at, at the time. But I knew later on that he, I, he chose it over having an intimate relationship with me. Um, and unfortunately, I got the same way, you know, because I started looking at it too. When I started being sort of um, exposed to pornography, it wasn't in a like a um, lock your door, make sure make sure no one's at home kind of way. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really secretive and hidden. I didn't really feel um, bad about it. You know, I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And people were always sort of surprised, you know, especially like other women like. Oh, I can't believe you let your husband do that, and and I'd sort of think, let him do that. We're both doing that. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Almost like I didn't, I didn't know that like porn was capable of ruining a relationship. You know, when you realize that you both would rather look at a computer screen and you don't even want to be with each other, it's just really sad. I've always enjoyed the intimate part of a relationship. I've always enjoyed being with another person and the fact that for me that that went away was oh man it was it blindsided me oh it was heartbreaking you know it it just it it robbed us it totally robbed us i had i had no idea that we had like this like this poisonous ingredient in our marriage you know that there was something else that was you know, spoiling us from the inside out. I mean, there was there was no way we were ever gonna uh, fix anything if if we hadn't, you know, ever attacked that problem. I had a lot of, you know, religious friends or or people that would tell you like morally, don't do it, it's wrong. Um, but I was a big girl. I always felt like I was very capable of making up my own mind. And it wasn't until I actually learned um, the physical scientific effects of pornography that it all came full circle for me and it all came clear. All of a sudden I could understand why I got rejected when I tried to initiate physical contact, why we didn't talk, why we both turned to pornography instead of each other. I mean, I, like I'm a living, breathing example of the pure science facts. That for me was, was sort of like the life-changing moment where I was like, 
porn might have some serious consequences and people might really want to know about it. You know, with drugs, I very much knew the physical effects of drugs. Um, I knew the power of addiction. Um, I never really had any education on pornography. I think if I think if if there are harmful effects to something, you have the right to know about them. You have the right to know so that you can make the choices that you want to make. I didn't make the choices that I wanted to make. I I know now what I know, and I want to make a different choice. You know, I'm I'm still the kind of person that I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, and I would really appreciate it if you would not tell me how to live mine. But the knowledge is power, you know, and if you have the power to make your relationships healthy, take it. I'm going to. I think to me, being healthy doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy or that it's even going to come naturally. But I think that when you learn the, the why or the what's the point, you, you can find strength and courage and motivation from those answers. I'm, I'm going to keep running for my health and I'm going to avoid pornography in my life and in my future relationships for my health because for myself, the very best version of me is a healthy me. she was able to understand that pornography was ruining her life, ruining her marriage, to the point where both of them decided that they just prefer a screen over intimacy with each other. I'm going to leave with this story. There's a guy, um, a woman who had a, had a similar situation with her husband, and um, he had a really bad addiction. She's a Christian. She said, I got to stick to this marriage. I, she wanted to stick to it. And then she got to the point probably about 20 years after, she's like, okay, this is getting bad. Like, you, it's either me or the porn. And this is before they had iPads and phones and all that stuff. They just had a desktop. That dude packed his bags and took the computer with him. She said, it's either me or the porn, and he packed his bags and took the computer with him. This is an epidemic. And the longer we remain silent about it, the more people's lives get destroyed and hurt. The more our young boys and young women grow up in a culture that says it's okay to do whatever you want when it comes to sex, only to find out when they do whatever they want, it destroys them from the inside out. It's time for us to stop being scared. Stop being paranoid about what people may think because you're like, hey, I had this struggle. No, it's time for us to say, hey, I have this struggle and I need to be sanctified and holy before God. And God needs to come into my life and cleanse me so that I can be cleansed of this horrible addiction so that I can go out into the world and tell people about how bad this has a bad effect on your life. It's time for us to step up and not be afraid to share the gospel. But in order for us to put ourselves in a position to share the gospel, we have to be made clean. And I pray with all my heart that every last one of us, not only we didn't just come here to listen to me speak and give some great information, that we actually act upon this. I don't know how, what that looks like in your life. 
It may be just going up to a young man and trying to mentor him and say, hey, I know a guy at church. Or going to a young lady and saying, hey, you know, I just want to encourage you because I know you're single. Whatever, whatever it is that you need to do to be involved in somebody's life, just know that more than likely she's not the only one dealing with this great, great, powerful, addictive drug. And there's people in your pews dealing with this powerful, addicting drug, and they need your help. And I pray that we as a church put ourselves in the position to give that help and stop allowing this to be something that's taboo. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then we're going to get out of here. Dear God, thank you for this amazing day and this amazing opportunity to be here in Malibu and be uh, surrounded by family and friends and people that we haven't seen in a while. God, I pray that the church is guided by your Holy Spirit, God. That in the process of being guided by your Holy Spirit, we recognize the evil spirit that's hovering along our churches, hovering among our society. The evil spirit of pornography is eradicated from our churches, God. I pray that you allow us as people who are sanctified and holy in front of you, that we're, we're allowed to put ourselves in the position ourselves to be sanctified before you so that we can go out and tell people about the harmful effects that pornography will have on your life and this marriage. God, you're a wonderful God, and we do not deserve your, your forgiveness, but you give it to us freely. I pray that you continue to love us the way that you always have. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Thank you guys.